Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I feel like that pastor that got up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and as he opened his Bible up, to his chagrin, he realized he had left his sermon notes at home. So very apologetically, he said to the congregation, listen, folks, I left my sermon notes at home, and so this morning, I'm going to have to be 100% fully trusting in the Holy Spirit for the message this morning, but if you'll come back tonight, I'll be better prepared. (laughs) Well, there's no night service, so this is going to have to be it, and I appreciate your prayers. You know, it's been, I think, 20 years since I stood behind this pulpit to bring forth a Sunday morning message, probably a little rusty this morning. Thank you for extended grace, but I thank you for being here today and what a beautiful day it is. Uh, Most of you know, if you don't, we are finally moving into the apartments in Manor 3. Hallelujah. I don't want to move again unless it is in heaven, and I'm in no hurry for that either. We had a downsize from 53 years of marriage to, you know, this little apartment over here. And I mean, tons of stuff. I couldn't believe the stuff we had and the clothes we had to get rid of and the ties. You know, I counted ties. I had over 40 ties that I probably had more, more than two or three in the last 15 years. So I decided today, if you don't mind, thank you, Chuck, going to wear a tie and a little sports coat to celebrate this day with you. Hallelujah. Years ago as a young pastor, actually many, many years ago, Ryan, (laughs) you know, I discovered something that on Mother's Day, many times mothers didn't show up for Mother's Day. Couldn't figure it out until I began to realize that many pastors back in that day spoke on the Proverbs 31 woman. How many of you remember remember those (laughs) Proverbs 31 sermons? Some actually refused to attend because of that teaching. So... I'm going to remind you women and you men as well what the Proverbs 31 woman was actually like. We may have it on the screen. I'm not sure. Here it is, Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She will not hinder him but help him all the days of her life. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and and plans a day's work for her servant girls. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She watches for bargains. Her lights burn late into the night. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs with no fear of the future. She carefully watches all that goes on in her household and does not have to bear the consequences of laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. The Proverb 31 woman. All the husbands said, yeah, praise the Lord. The woman said, oh, woe's me. That's not me. (laughs) But how many of you know what's good for the goose is what? So, you know, men, husbands, fathers, this this is for you. I, I, I spent some time searching through the scriptures And I found these scriptures just for you. They're found in Second Hesitations 4, verses 1 through 7. And so listen listen to these verses for you, fathers who are here today. These words say, many blessings are in store for a good, good father. 
A good father is one that always has time for his wife, children, and grandchildren, even though it may leave little time for himself. He is always happy and upbeat, and nothing ever gets him down. When called upon to cook for his family, he always is ready and willing and does so without any complaint. A good, good father is always even-tempered and hardy, ever gets angry, upset. Listen to this. He is never down or depressed and is always in an upbeat and generous mood. A good, good father enjoys shopping with his wife (laughs) and is happy and fulfilled when she spends all his hard-earned cash. Although I'm sure there are many blessings for a good, good father. I'm not exactly sure where they're at, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere. So will all the good, good fathers who measure up to these scriptures rise and be counted. I seem to be the only one standing. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, of course, you know, there's no such thing as second hesitations in the Bible. So you're, you're, you're in good shape. This morning's message is entitled, The Good, Good Father. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father. We have a good, good daddy. It's your, you, you are who he is. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for the, just your love and your mercy and the grace you're proud upon us. And today, Father, we're asking as a good, good father, you just come and reveal your love and your mercy and your grace to us today in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's kids said, amen. 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 How many of you this morning know where in the New Testament, the first mention of God's love for the world is listed in the New Testament. God's love for the entire world. John 3.16. Would you quote it with me? For God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have... How many of you know where it's found in the New Testament, the first time a father's love for his son is mentioned in the New Testament. So, you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Did you know there's a Matthew 3.16? John 3.16, Matthew 3.16, it was at Christ's baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. The first mention of a father's love for a son is right here. The father's love for his son, Jesus Christ. I remember when our son David was born, just as if it was today, I remember standing at the district hospital in Tulare, California, and I was looking through that window at that newborn son, and I stood there for an hour admiring his good looks, and I thought, he looks just like his dad. Man, he was a cute baby, and I just, just sat there thinking, Oh, I love this baby. I love this baby. And the thought came to me, if I have this kind of love for my son, just think of the kind of love the father has for me, for us, our son David. Two years later, we had a beautiful daughter named Cynthia. Oh, she was the love of my life. Blue-eyed, blonde hair. And I still remember those games we used to play. Remember those Daddy Ate My Finger games? You know? 
How many, how many fathers remember Daddy Eat My Finger Games? So I read about a father that was packing for a business trip, and he was playing with his three-year-old daughter on the bed, and she was trying to keep her entertained. He reached out and stuck her fingers in his mouth and said, Daddy's going to eat your fingers. Daddy's going to eat your fingers, pretending to gobble them up. The father went back to packing and looked up again, and his daughter was standing on the bed, staring at her fingers with a devastated look on her face. And the father said, what's wrong, honey? And she innocently replied, what happened to my booger? <laughs> okay, I, listen. Come on, daddies, you know it's true. You know it's true. Come on. And then our, our little girls grow up, and they ask a little more penetrating questions. So a little girl went up to her mother and said, Mother, how did the human race appear? And the mother said, Well, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and they eventually all became like Christ. So we were made in the image and likeness of Christ. Two, two days later, she goes up to her father and asks the same question. The father said, well, you see, there's the amoebas, and they crawled out from the water into the land, and then there was this evolution, and then came the apes and monkeys. And he said, well... I think we all evolved from apes and monkeys. The confused girl went back to her mother and said, Mom, I, I don't know what's wrong. You, you know, how is it possible? You told me the human race was created by God, and Papa said that we were developed through monkeys. And the mother responded, Well, you know, really, dear, it's quite simple. See, I was talking about my side of the family, <laughs> and your dad was talking about it. <laughs> so I tell you what, folks, no matter what... <laughs> Side of the family you're from, I can tell you this. We have a good, good father that loves us dearly. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. How many of you know the world not only doesn't know us, the world doesn't like us? Do you know that one of our government leaders actually publicly stated that Christianity is one of the greatest threats to democracy. I won't tell you who that leader was. Did you know that we are being accused of being racist, bigots, homophobes, anti-trans, anti-LBGTQWXYZ, and everything anti-woke? And you know what I say? I say, praise the Lord. I don't care. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with the wokeness of the Target and the wokeness of the Dodgers and them putting forth guys dressed in costumes like women and celebrating demonic days. And I thought, well, Lord, I'm glad we're not part of that world. 1 John 3, 2 through 3 says, Dear friends, now... We are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We've been having a lot of funerals lately. But you know what? Every funeral we've had, these incredible people have made themselves pure and prepared themselves before the Lord. There was uh, Herb Smith just recently he was prepared to go to heaven. David Alderetti, he was prepared to go to heaven. Nancy Bence was prepared. Larry Chapman was prepared. They were all prepared to go to heaven. They had prepared their hearts. So the question is, how do we prepare ourselves? Well, 
It's through faith, love, trust, and obedience. Some of you may have heard the story about the little girl that came home from Sunday school one Sunday. She was so excited. She ran in and saw her mother and said, Mother, Mother, I learned a new song in Sunday school today. And she's, mother said, Well, that's, that's wonderful, wonderful, sweetheart. What did you learn? She said, I learned this song, Trust and Okay. <laughs> now, you younger guys don't get this. But us older folks, right, Carol? We know the, the song is what? Not Trust and Okay, but it's Trust and Obey. So trust and obey, then everything will be okay. There's simply no okay without the obey. Hallelujah. Trust and obey. Jesus was preparing to go back to his father, John chapter 17. And it's that prayer, really the Lord's prayer. We talk about the Lord's prayer being our father, which are in heaven. That's more like the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. But the Lord's prayer the one he prayed to the Father in John 17. Listen to these words as Jesus prayed them to the Father. He said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given to him. Now this is eternal life. And if you read it in your Bible, it's that there's a colon, two dots. When you see the colon, it means, listen up, this is important. Now this is eternal life. Here it is. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then he said these words that challenged my heart, disturbed me. Jesus said to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Let me read that again. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've read that a number of times, but one particular time when I read that, and that scripture stood out to me, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And I, I was wondering, Lord, have I brought you glory as a father, as a husband, as a Disciple of Christ, as a servant of God, have I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do? This includes work as a husband and as a father and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to talk to you briefly on the subject, the work of a father, that is how to be a good, good dad. I want to tell you about my son, David. I'd like to tell you this morning that our son, David, was a perfect son, that he loved the Lord with all of his heart, that he attended church faithfully and read and studied his Bible every day. I'd like to tell you that. I'd like to tell you his highest goal in life was to honor and serve God and that his greatest desire was to be transformed into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I I can't tell you that this morning. What I can tell you is that when our son, David, turned 18, he pretty much left the church went down a path of his own choosing, a path that did not lead to righteous and holy living. You know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said there are two roads. One is a very wide road, and there's a lot of people that walk on that road, and that road leads to destruction. And then there's this this narrow road 
that only a few actually find, and that road leads to eternal life and to righteousness and peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our son had chosen the wide road. But wanting to be a good, good father, I invited my son to go out deep sea fishing with me at Avila Beach so we could talk about his life and salvation. And I want to read just two pages from my book where I talk about my son David, just real short. And uh, so we went out to Avila to go fishing. I'll just read it. With great concern for our son's salvation, I invited David to go deep sea fishing with me in Port, Port San Luis and Avila Beach. Until golf came into the picture, <laughs> fishing was David's first love. He was my fishing buddy. And if the truth were known, he almost always outfished me. But I invited him to go angling as well. Anyway, my motive was twofold. One, just to hang out with my son, have loving fellowship. And second of all, as a good, good father, to talk to him about his salvation and the reckless road that he was traveling on. We had a great day of fishing, and if my memory serves me correctly, I think he caught the biggest fish again. It was on our way back to Bakersfield that the reason for the trip became evident. With tears in my eyes, I began to pour out my heart and soul to my son and tell him how much I loved him. I talked about his relationship with the Lord and about his current lifestyle. David, for the most part, remained quiet and introspective. But I can still see in my mind's eye the conversation that was just about to take place. In a solemn yet loving voice, I looked at David and said, Son, my biggest concern is that when your mother and I enter eternity and are enjoying the presence of the Lord, you won't be there to enjoy his presence with us. The truth is that God loves you very much and desires to have fellowship with you. He has a plan for your life and he wants to bring you peace and joy in the midst of your trials. David was going through some real issues. He's gone through a divorce, gone through... Uh, foreclosure of his house, situations, all kinds of stuff, just stuff. You, you men, you sons and daughters, know what I'm talking about, just stuff piled up on his back. It's like he just couldn't get out of the pit. After a short silence, David replied, I love you too, Dad, and I know that you and Mom love me, that you have been praying for me. I know I'm not where I need to be right now, but I do thank you for your prayers. Well, not wanting to condemn my son, but at the same time, hoping to press home his need to renew his fellowship with the Lord, I then made this statement. I said, son, I really believe you're walking on thin ice and that you're in danger of falling through and missing eternity with Christ. Please turn your life back over to the Lord before it's too late. I was doing that, hopefully, as a good, good father. David's response, I hear what you're saying, Dad. And for the remainder of the journey, we talked about family, friends, sports, fishing, and of course, Golf. It would be our last fishing trip together. Did I fail as a father? Had I missed it? Did I, I not catch the signs? Should I have done more? We, we as fathers always ask those questions. What more could I have done to put our son on the right path? Now, we have a good ending, so just hang on. But I often question... Had I somehow, in self-condemnation and self-pity, did I somehow merit God's disapproval, displeasure, and disappointment? But in times when I asked those questions, what more could I have done? Was I a failure? Did I fail? What else could I have done? My spirit man rises up and reminds me of two essential truths. Here they are. 
He reminds me, number one, that no matter what I go through, no matter what you go through, God loves me. Can you say that? God loves me. And that no matter what the circumstances, his word is true. Can you say that? His word is true. No matter what you're going through, God loves me. No matter what the circumstances are in your life, his word is true. Well, these two truths were brought home to me in a dream I had. Now, I dream almost every night, mainly weird pizza dreams. <laughs> but this one dream was so vivid that I actually journaled it. And I call it my Jesus fist, fist bumped dream. So let me tell you about it. So I was somewhere in the high Sierra Mountains. I was in a classroom. Evidently, evidently I was a teacher. And I stepped out of the classroom on the sidewalk, just admiring the scenery, the trees, the mountains, the lush valleys. It was so beautiful. And as I was standing there, I looked over to my right, and here was a large mountain and a valley between them and another large mountain. Now, sometimes valleys are indicative of trials, tribulations, hardships, pressures, things that we all go through. Mountain here, mountain there, the big valley. And as I'm looking at this valley, the picture of Jesus, Jesus's face filled the whole valley, the whole valley. And I stood amazed looking at Jesus. And within a nanosecond, Jesus' face left the valley. And all of a sudden, he's standing right in front of me, Jesus. Now, I would have thought he would say something like, I love you, man, and give me a warm embrace. No, no. But I know that as he was standing there, I knew in my heart he loved me. I saw his kind eyes, his really precious, wonderful, warm smile. I knew in my, it was not a communication which you spoke. It's a type of communication we're going to have in eternity. You just know that you know that you know. And, you just, and my spirit knew that he loved me and that he cared for me. But instead of giving me a warm embrace and saying, I love you, man. You know what Jesus did? He stuck out his arm and gave me a fist bump. That's right, a fist bump. And when he did this, I know what Jesus meant. He was saying, Ken, you're all right. Ken, I love you. You're walking the right. You're walking in obedience. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not unhappy with you. I'm not displeased with you. I love you. The fist bump. Wow. Well, then the next scene is, I'm on the sidewalk, and I'm walking to the next room. Evidently, there were three rooms in a row. And I was walking to the next room, and I walked inside. And as I was standing there, I began to weep and convulse, thinking, oh, this is what Jesus just did for me. He just gave me that fist bump, and he said, I love you, I care. I, I knew he said that in his heart. And as I was standing in the second room, all of a sudden, Jesus walks by the window with that same warm grin and smile on his face. He just walks by. And as he walks by, he turns and looks at me. Again, I knew what he meant. Jesus was saying, I take great delight in touching your life. I, I take great delight in touching all your children. Seven, were there seven? All seven of them, all seven of them. I take great delight in ministering to you and touching your life and putting joy in your heart and, and just lifting you up and, and, and helping your spirit. I take great delight in doing that. That's what Jesus said when he went by. 
God loves me and his word is true. God loves you and his word is true. Not only does God love you, can I tell you that God knows your name? God knows your character. What's in a name? We gave our son David the name David, which means the beloved. Our daughter Cynthia, we gave her a name that means reflector of light. It also means moon goddess, but we prefer reflector of light. The moon reflects the sun. She reflects the light of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife, Carolyn, uh, um, a, a song to sing. <laughs> a, song of joy. a song of joy. Thank you very much. You know, a little, little rusty. A song of joy. My first name is Ken. No, 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 it's not. My second name is Ken, which means comely or handsome. Isn't that a befitting name? <laughs> Can you say Amen. Most of you don't know that my first name is not Ken. My first name is Darwin, which means, well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. That's something. Okay, it means beloved friend. Beloved friend. God knows our name. I want to just briefly this morning talk about, we may be here to one o'clock. I don't Talk about a little wrestling match God had with someone called Jacob. You know the story. Jacob deceived his brother Esau. Esau was ticked off. Jacob goes to Uncle Laban, makes a fortune, has all kinds of cattle and wealth. But he's coming back to the land of Esau. And he knows his brother is about to come and take him out and do him in. So he was afraid. So he sends one wife and all the cattle over this way and another one over there. Maybe one could get through if Esau comes and takes him out. So, you know... Jacob was standing all alone, him by himself, no music, the lights have faded, party's over, it's just him and God. Some of you men have come to a place where sometimes it's it's just you and the Lord, no one else around, the light is on you, no place for blame, you can't blame your wife, you can't blame your children, you can't blame circumstance, you can't blame your job, it's you and the Father, you and you're standing and the light is shining on you and you're about to have the greatest wrestling match you've ever had. So here he is. Here's Jacob at the Jabbok Ford. Ford means crossing. Jabbok is a river, means wrestler. Wrestler, the river, wrestle. You know what happened at the river. Everybody's gone. He's there. And throughout that night, this being, an angel, I, uh, many theologians believe it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This being wrestles with Jacob throughout the evening. And the morning's coming, light's coming, and, and Jacob wouldn't let this being go. The being wanted to go. Now, the being could have went had he wanted to, but there was a reason for staying. You see, Jacob realized there's something d- divine about that being, and Jacob realized There was something in his life and in his countenance and his character and his name that wasn't right. And the being said, let me go. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And then this being asked a crazy question. Must not have been very smart. He said, what is your name? Don't you think he knew his name? But you have to realize that that word name is the word shame in the Hebrew. And can I tell you what it means? The word shame. Well, it means actually 
It means character, reputation, honor, and authority. The word name, what's your name? Jesus, or the being, was asking, well, let me, let me ask you something, Jacob. What is your reputation? What is your character? What, what is your honor? What is your authority? Who are you really? And you got to understand what Jacob went through. He finally broke down and said, well, I don't know who I am. I'm just a deceiver. I'm a supplanter and I, I, I cheat people and I'm a schemer and I'm a liar. I don't, I don't know. I'm just messed up, but I need a change in my life. And some of us men, husbands, were like that. Fathers, we just need to come to a place where we need a change in our lives. And that comes when we wrestle with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? Finally, towards the morning hours, the wrestling mats, Jesus or the being touched, Jacob touches thigh. He never walked the same because he has a changed character, a changed reputation, a changed honor, a changed authority. And the being said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, but you're going to be called what? Israel, a prince with God. That's where many of us today need to come, that place we wrestle with God. And he says, you're going to be a prince with God. I got to tell you a time when my wife and I wrestled with the Lord. It took place right here in Manor 2. Manor 2. The greatest challenge we'd ever had in our life. In my book, there's a chapter entitled Road to Suffering and Pathway to Glory. And uh, I can tell you when our road to suffering began. Some of you might remember uh, Skip Turner. She was our neighbor to one side of us. Manor 2, Unit 15. That's where we were. On the other side was Pauline Phelps, two wonderful people of God. The first two people we contacted when we got this phone call. Let me tell you what happened. Our greatest road of suffering took place on April 9th, 2001, 5 in the morning. I just preached my second message as a new associate pastor at BFA. And I can tell you we had people saved in the morning service. We had people baptized in spirit in the evening service. By the time we went back to Manor 2, we were pumped. We were excited. Look what the Lord has done. Oh, all that we could imagine or even think the Lord has done for us. We were praising God. But we were soon to discover a truth that right after a great victory is a great test. We didn't know that shortly one phone call would catapult us from the life that we had been living into the depths of discouragement and despair. We were about to go from the heights of rejoicing to the valley of pain, agony, and despair. It would be the greatest challenge we'd ever had in 33 years of marriage. Can I say this morning, some of you are facing some real challenges in your life. You're being challenged to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. It could be a test in your life, your marriage, your relationship with God, your finances, your business, your family, your sons and your daughters, your grandchildren. It could be a great-grandchildren. But I want to tell you this morning, your road to victory is just ahead, and your pathway to glory is at hand. Let me tell you about the phone call we received, 5 in the morning, Manor 2, apartment 15. The phone rings. Carolyn grabbed my arm. Who could that be at 5 in the morning? Oh, maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's is it David. Is it Cynthia? Who is it? What's wrong? 
It was Betty, not her real name. It was Betty called, says Ken. The police department in Fresno have been trying to reach you. David's been in an accident, and you need to go to St. Agnes Hospital right away. But the way she said it is as if the Holy Spirit just put a truth, a revelation in my heart. And I said, David is dead, isn't he? She said, yes. You need to go right away. We'll go through the whole story of our son's death. I'm going to tell you about life. I'm going to tell you about the miracle that took place at his service. When we were in our lowest moments in David's house, crying our eyes out, eye bloodshot eyeballs, only those who have lost a loved one, a son or a daughter or a husband or wife, you know what I'm talking about, or a grandchild. There's, there's times you just convulse with tears over the death of your loved one. At our lowest moment, the phone rings. Very warily, I picked it up. Hello, hello, Ken. This is your Aunt Lil. My Aunt Lil is a precious prophetess of God, a little short German, uh, wonderful lady that hears the voice of God. And she said, I, and I, I wish this morning I had time to tell you all that she said, but let me share just a brief thing. I'm almost done. She said she was watching TBN on television and she sensed the presence and the glory and it filled the room. At that very moment, she said, the picture on the screen became a vision of our son, David. He was laughing. He was smiling, enjoying the presence of the Lord. His face uh, was radiating with the light of Christ, and even his dimples showed. She said, I was impressed. I needed to tell you that I do believe that you're David is in the arms of Jesus. It was what we needed at that time. Sometimes we just need to know God loves us. God cares. God hears our prayers. God responds to our heartache. And I don't have time to get through all of it, but there there were changes that had been taken in our son's life. And we had prayed a prayer on our way to St. Agnes. Father, it was on. he, 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 uh, He passed away on April 9th. On Good Friday, Friday the 13th, we had his service. And as we were driving to St. Agnes, we were praying, Father, as Jesus' son, your son, in his death brought forth life, we're praying that in our son's death, life would come forth. Your word says, Romans 8, 20, 20, God can cause all things to do what? Work together for good to those who what? Love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. That was our prayer. So let me tell you what happened at our son's funeral. I call it the miracle on Inyo Street because on Inyo Street was this four-square church and that's where we had our son's funeral. I did his funeral service and the place was packed. I couldn't believe it. Every seat was taken. People lined up around the, the back wall. The overflow room was overflowing. We found out later they were turning people away from their cars because there was no place to park. It was packed. Some of you in this room was actually there. So you're going to test what I'm about to tell you is the truth. And I remember so clearly, as I got up and I looked at our son's casket, I saw him laying there for the last time on this earth, on this earth, almost lost it. And I said, oh, Father, just touch my heart. Use me to glorify your name. By the time I got to the pulpit, I felt calm. I don't remember what I preached, but I think it was good. (laughs) But here's what I remember the most, the miracle that took place 
on Inyo Street. When I got done, I shared this with the congregation, and I'm sharing it with you, about a good, good father. A good, good father was concerned about his son. He was just getting ready to graduate from high school. So he called him in and says, hey, son, graduation's almost here. What's going to happen after graduation? And the son says, well, I'm going I'm to graduate, and I'll go on to college. He said, that's great, son, but what then? Well, uh, I'm going to go get my degree, and I'm going to go out there and get a good-paying job. And the father said, that's good, son, but what then? Well, I'm going to get out there and get a good-paying job, and then I'm going to get married, and I'm going to give you some grandkids. The dad said, hey, son, I like that idea, but what then, son? I guess I'll just, I'm just going to grow old and, and kind of get gray, and I, I'm going to retire like you. And the father looking lovingly in his son's eyes, said, well, that's great, son, but what then? The son was getting a little concerned now. What then? Well, I, I guess, I guess I'll just die. And the father said, what then, son? What then? This is a miracle that took place on Inyo Street. I share that with the audience. I said, have you settled the what then question in your life? Do you know for certain, should you die today? Because today is a day of salvation. Do you know for certain you go to heaven? Do you know for certain? Have you settled the what then question? I said, if you haven't, I want you to pray this prayer. Pray it out loud, every one of you. And so I said, dear Lord, and it was kind of a quiet, dear Lord. I said, no, pray it out loud, dear Lord. It rumbled across the congregation. When they prayed that prayer, then I asked this question. I said, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, for the very first time you asked Jesus to come into your hearts, I'm going to ask you to do something. Truthfully, I didn't know if even one would come down. But I said, I'm going to ask you to stand up and come down to the front and stand with me. And by standing with me, you're indicating you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus into your heart for the first time. Would you come and stand with me? Within just a few seconds, David's best friend came and stood right here by me. And then a few seconds more, another came and another and another. His Save Mart boss came walking down the aisle. A 68-year-old man came walking. There were cousins, our son's cousins, came walking down the aisle. Within minutes, 40 people were standing in front of me, 40 people who responded to the what then question and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. 40 people. Yeah, Yeah, hallelujah. What a miracle, a miracle on Inyo Street. A month later, we had some funds from David's work. Karen and I went out and bought nice leather, thin line leather Bibles for all 20, 20 of the 40 that came down for salvation. 20 of them were our son's best friends. 20 of them. Out of death came forth what? Life. Out of Jesus' death comes forth life. So now as I close this morning, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Would you stand with me? Here's my question for you. Up the balcony, from right to left, have you settled the what then question in your life? Do you know for certain, should you die today, you would go to heaven? Today is a day of salvation. You need to settle the what then question. So I'm going to ask, like I did at my son's funeral service,
I'm going to ask each of you to pray a sinner's prayer. And I want you to pray it out loud. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Lord, Lord. say it out loud. Dear Lord, Lord, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I'm asking Lord Jesus that you touch my life. You take my sins away. You receive me into your fellowship because I believe in my heart that you, Lord Jesus, died for my sins. I'm confessing with my mouth that you rose from the dead and you're at the right hand of God the Father. And I, by faith right now, thank you for coming into my life and receiving me into your eternal home. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to ask you something. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to be so bold to step out from where you're standing and stand with me right here. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, come on. Balcony, anywhere. You prayed that prayer for the very first time. Stand with me right here. Hallelujah. It's okay. Are you sure you die today, you're going to heaven? Anyone at all? We're not going to... Praise God. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Told you I was a little rusty. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of courage to come down to the front. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Others, we're not in a hurry. You prayed that prayer for the very first time. Come on down. This takes courage. It does. If you'll take the first step, the Holy Spirit will take that step with you. When you prayed that prayer, let me ask you, did you mean it when you prayed that prayer in your heart? I know you did. You mean it. Can I give you a promise from Jesus? It's found in John 6, 47. Thank you, brother. Thank you for honesty. Hallelujah. John 6, 47, Jesus said, it's in red letters. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you shall have eternal life. Come on. Praise God. Come on down. Hallelujah. 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 It takes courage. It takes courage to come down and make a public declaration of faith. Jesus said, thank you. Thank you. He that believes in me has eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? I can tell you in authority of God's word, Jesus said, you have eternal life. Would you repeat after me? I have eternal life. You do. Let me be the first one to welcome you into the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. We're almost done here. Well, we're out before two o'clock. Praise God. No service tonight, though. I'm going to ask you to do something as someone who put their trust in Jesus. That lady right there, would you just follow her in that room? She has a gift for you and also some literature for, for new believers in Christ. Would you right now just go ahead and follow her in that room? It won't be long. It won't be long. Thank you. Thank, you. Let's, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Also, if you're a first-time visitor, any first-time visitors, let me see your hands. Any first-time visitors here at all? Good. Praise God. Oh, we got several. If you're a first-time visitor, could you also go in there and we have a gift just for you? Would you come right now? It's only going to be a few minutes. Just come on and follow them to that door if you're a first-time visitor. Come on down. Hey, thank you. Come on down. Nothing's going to happen. We're not going to baptize you. We're not going to lay hands on you. But first-time visitors, we, we do have a guest, a gift for you. First-time visitors, come on down. Thank you. Now, as we close this morning, thank you for your attentiveness. God is so good. Thank you, Father, for being here. We have a gift for you as you go out today. If you have a need, I'm going to ask the elders and the, and the prayer warriors and those that pray, would you come? Because we're going to spend some time. If there's some of you here that just simply needs prayer, I'm going to ask as these prayer warriors come and the elders come, if you've been through that valley, hallelujah, you need to see the face of Christ come and give you a fist bump. So as you come right now, they're going to be praying for you. If you need to leave, can I ask you to do one thing? Would you give someone a fist bump and say, Happy Father's Day. You're, you're dismissed. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer, come on down. We have people here to pray with you. Come on down. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.